Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. And welcome to part two of this week's Alien Altercation. On Monday's episode, we saw Independence Day try not to go quietly into the night, try and not vanish without a fight, try to live on, try to survive. But today, we're celebrating our challenger, an alien invasion of a different kind, best celebrated in three words. <laughs> oh, that's going to get annoying. It's an extraterrestrial battle, Tim Burton style, from 1996, Mars Attacks. So which movie will emerge as champion this week? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. Ak, ak, ak. I'm Chris Tilly. <laughs> I mean, you must have known the minute I saw them doing that, I was like, that's going to get really annoying. Oh mm. my God, I'm going to do that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ak, ak, ak. Now, don't forget, uh, dear Clash Potters, you can follow us on Twitter at ClashPod for all sorts of extras about each movie we cover. And if you could take the time to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, it is hugely appreciated um part two then independence day versus mars attacks these were christopher's choices chris thrilly reminders of the connection yeah i mean I, the connection was nice planet will take it which was such a good connection that the mars attacks mm-hmm. marketing team actually used it on a poster <laughs> yes yes they did otherwise known as a tagline a tagline but yes <laughs> they did um so vicky covered independence day on monday which means because we do it chronologically i got mars attacks we will have our winner at the end of this episode but before that let me take you on a journey 
Following the disaster movie standard of having multiple narratives, a who's who of gifted comedy actors are assembled to deal with the threat of an alien invasion by visitors from Mars. For the first 20 minutes, we get to know these characters and realise that despite their undoubted abilities, they shan't be making us laugh for the duration of this film. Thank God then, when the Martians show up and start frying people, then apologising for frying people, claiming it was all a misunderstanding, then frying more people, before being defeated by the dulcet tones of Slim Whitman. That's pretty much the synopsis, or synopsis, but if you're in a hurry and someone asks you for the synopsis of Mars Attacks, it's Mars Attacks. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, for your consideration, Mars Attacks. Professor, what do we know about them? We know they're extremely advanced technologically, which suggests, very rightfully so, that they're peaceful. Now, I suspect they have more to fear from us than we from them. Ladies and gentlemen, the Martian ambassador is going to say a few words. Come on down, Mr. Ambassador. It's a Martian. It's close. My God. Yikes. They blew up Congress. <laughs> hey, we all make mistakes, Mr. President. This could be a cultural misunderstanding. Mr. President, they have a planet surrounded with thousands of warships. What do you think, Marsha? Kick the crud out of him. What's happening to him? What's killing him? I think it must be my music. So, let's start with your first experiences of Mars Attacks. Uh, Victoria, would you like to start us off? <clears throat> uh, you do remember on the last episode where I said... Um, I'm not comfortable unless I'm being funny. I don't believe I'm being funny unless I'm being mean, but sometimes I really like things even though I'm mean about them. Mm -hmm. That is, That's not the case this time. I had never seen this film and now I have seen this film and I fucking hated it. <laughs> <laughs> I know that goes against oh. the like, oh, the jeopardy or whatever, but it, it would you would be able to tell that I, I'd either have to be silent, completely silent for the next 59 minutes, which is an option, or I've just got to get this off my chest. What a, what a piece of shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Vicky's on the fence. Chris... <laughs> Well, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm a bit of a geek, and I can remember hey, I used no, to get no. I used to get the <laughs> film magazines, and when they do their preview of the year, I used to sort of number them as as according to how excited I was about each film. And, and, and I know that I know that for the year 1996, I know that for the year 1996, Mars Attacks was around the top of that list. I was so excited about it because of the director, because of the cast. And mm. the Independence Day was way down the bottom because there wasn't a huge amount that interested me about uh, what essentially sounded like the same story, but with a less exciting director and a much less interesting cast, as I thought at the time. Uh, I actually can't even remember watching it. <laughs> I don't know if I saw it in the cinema or on video, and I haven't seen it since. So this was a rewatch for me, uh, the sec a second watch this week. How about you, Alex? Okay. 
Are you going to? I think maybe because Vicky's gone so um, so hard on her opinion. I notice you've tactically left it blank as to what your opinion of the film is right now, as an adult as opposed to a child, and I respect that, Chris. I am. Um, I do remember watching it as a kid. Don't know how, don't know where, don't know why. Uh, and I only remember two things about that experience. The first was Sarah Jessica Parker as a dog uh, <laughs> flirting with Pierce Brosnan's disembodied head, which I do remember liking. And then the second thing I remember, which I think is rather a mature thought process for a child, is that I decided that I didn't enjoy it because perhaps the humour was too sophisticated for my child brain, and I would look forward to watching it again as an adult when I'd understand it more. This was that viewing. (laughs) Now, I know I had some reservations uh, about this pairing, Chris. I remember we had a conversation when you said, I'm going to do Mars Attacks with Independence Day, and I said I didn't think it was right putting Independence Day up against Mars Attacks because as a comedy, Mars Attacks was all about making you laugh. Turns out... I needn't have worried. Well, as I said to you at the time, I said I think that Independence Day is funnier than Mars Attacks, but I could be wrong because, again, I was Mm. interested to see how this had aged and whether I had a different uh, opinion of it sort of as a grown-up than as a kid. Mm. Um, I feel I need to say this early uh, in this episode. I'm a huge Huge Tim Burton fan. Batman Returns is still the greatest Batman movie. Ed Wood is a work of genius. Ditto Beetlejuice. Love Big Fish. Um, This will be my last ever viewing of Mars Attacks unless (laughs) I lose a bet. Um, Because, wow. Um, uh, Let's do a bit of trivia before we get into talking about the movie. Um, So it is, um, it's based on some famous trading cards um, from 1962, uh, and they were very popular because they uh, kind of emulated what was going on in the world at that point with the Cuban Missile Crisis, except it was Martians and, you know, the Americans could only win if they defeated the Martians and wiped them out. And it tapped into, you know, what people were thinking uh, regarding uh, the Russians and the nuclear weapons. Um, already, that's way more interesting than anything else I'm going to say on this podcast. So, um Alex Cox uh, wanted to turn it into a movie. Alex Cox, Repo Man director, Sid and Nancy director. And I know we've spoken about this before, uh, Chris and I, uh, especially, I think you did too, Victoria. We watched him on Movie Drome, uh, mm. the TV show where he used to play amazing double bills. I think it was BBC Two when I was a kid. Um, Alligator versus Q, the winged serpent. Uh, was uh, one of those childhood memories that you have as a kid, which uh, was just the, one of the best cinematic experiences I've had, even though it was at home. Anyway, they didn't like uh, his script. He couldn't get it made. Um, can, I, can I jump in now? Uh, because I actually yeah. read, I read the Alex Cox script this week. Because I thought it oh, might it's be online, of, yeah, yeah. I thought yeah. it might be of interest. It's actually on the BFI's website. His third draft from May 1989. Um, it, and it really couldn't be more different to the Tim Burton film to the point that at least the Tim Burton film is trying does endeavor to adapt the playing cards into a movie and that's maybe to its detriment this doesn't touch on it at all but I'll briefly tell you what happens in it it, it starts with the Martians wiping out the dinosaurs and creating man then it cuts <laughs> to 1989 and the the Martians have sent emissaries to earth in search of good PR so they sign up with a Chicago PR agency just as they're invading, uh, claiming that they're here to protect us from a different alien threat. And then it cuts to years later where we're living in shanty towns and we've been enslaved and they've added Martians to all our old TV shows. There are adverts everywhere and we're consuming Martian drink, food and drugs. 
Mm. And it turns out that Mars is in danger of being buried under the weight of its own unsold consumer goods. So that's why <laughs> they started Project Earth, so that we would evolve into a planet that would consume what they were producing. So it's this satire of capitalism, imperialism, this criticism of American values. And and the one interesting thing is in it, in the film from, as I say, it's from 1989, um, President Trump <laughs> has just been in office. <laughs> and and the Martians actually turned Trump Tower into the Martian Friendship Building. So, yeah, I mean, being Alex Cox, it's a great big fat satire. Um, and it's and also we get to go to Mars in his script as well. We see what's happening there with the, the Martian Prince. Um, it's it's funny. It's not the, the script comes actually with notes from the film studio, which is interesting. Um, oh, wow. Saying that he's not quite there, but the ideas. The ideas are solid and that it's a, it's a good framework to build upon, but obviously it, it, mm. it went nowhere in the end. Well, it's um, the original trading cards uh, were uh, were popular. They eventually got cancelled, I believe, um, because they featured too much um, explicit gore and implied sexual content, uh, which caused an outcry from parents, and so they halted production of them. But uh, I, I think both of those things made it into Mars Attacks. Uh, so uh, the film, which is something, uh, a little bit of gore and some implied sexual content. Um, go on. I could hear you inhale then. It's a, great, it's a great way to let me know you've got something to say. We should adopt that more where you go. <gasps> uh. Well, we can't make eye contact at the moment, so it's difficult. Um, no, I know. The, the only other thing I had here, I don't know if you've got this, is, is weirdly um, the, the acclaimed British novelist Martin Amis uh, wrote <laughs> yeah, a script. I mm. Yeah. That's yeah. fucking nose. Like, why not? After I'd watched it, I read that. I was like, of course, that makes perfect fucking sense. Well, it turns out in the early 80s, he wrote a book about um, arcade games and um, space invaders specifically, which had a foreword by Steven Spielberg. So he was into oh. science fiction in the 80s. He doesn't like to talk about that book now, and I think it's because there's some pretty unpleasant language and a, a sort of homophobic terms used in it. So he sort of pretends it didn't happen, but he was a sci-fi guy at that time. And it, it, I found an interview with him from The Times from August 1992, and he described his Mars attacks as an updated version of War of the Worlds, except that they don't come to mess us up, they come in search of new markets. They talk and dress like Californian businessmen and bring all kinds of benefits like cancer cures. So a lot of that is similar to Alex Cox's version, but he said the script was substantially reworked and Amos um, said he liked Mars Attacks, the Tim Burton film, but denied having contributed so much as a single word to it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he did. That's the quote I've got saying he rather liked it, though it contained not a word I wrote. Uh, the actual credit for the script that we witness um, goes to <laughs> British playwright and screenwriter uh, Jonathan Gems, who is known mainly for his work on Mars Attacks. Um, he had <laughs> previously uh, written multiple unproduced screenplays for Tim Burton and... Um, He'd uh, done an uncredited rewrite on Batman. He'd written a Beetlejuice sequel called Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian um, and an updating of Edgar Allan Poe's The Fall of the House of Usher. He'd also written a script called The Hawkline Monster, a cowboy slash monster movie. This actually sounds great. That was meant to star Clint Eastwood and Jack Nicholson. Uh, that never happened. So he came to Tim Burton with his idea for Mars Attacks, uh, along with an idea called Dinosaurs Attack, 
Um, uh, Burton decided that dinosaurs attack would be too similar to Jurassic Park. So they settled on Mars attacks. And then Burton basically co-wrote the script, but didn't want a credit, gave it all to Jonathan Gems. Um, the original, and you'll love this, uh, because it's quite an interesting thing. I, I, as I was reading this, I sort of wondered what, what the, term, the, the turn of phrase meant. But they gave the script to Warner Brothers, who then budgeted based on the script they were receiving. They then worked out the budget and told like Tim Burton and Jonathan Gems what it would cost. And the original script was $260 million, <laughs> uh, was what they were asking for. But... Thankfully, they went back to the drawing board and cut the 60 leading characters down to 23. (laughs) That makes me so annoyed. (laughs) I just like... I just, it's about the order in which you do things, surely, isn't it? Should we give this to the studio with 60 leading characters? I mean, we're going to have to cut it down to to about, you know, less than 23, but let's say 23. No, no, give it to... (laughs) Give it to them first and let them tell us to do it because that way we'll look like we know what the fuck's yeah. going on. Yeah, really get off on the right foot there. If we... uh, <laughs> yeah. oh. But um, nevertheless, they, they got it down to a budget of around sort of 80 million, uh, largely by Tim Burton not getting to use his stop-motion animation. Big Ray Harryhausen fan wanted to do stop-motion animation for the Martians. It would have been too expensive, so Industrial Light and Magic stepped in, and that's how they got a budget that was green-lightable. And they also cut down. It's very Independence Day. They also had Manhattan being destroyed like Independence Day, a lot more world monuments being destroyed, uh, and they got that all down to just um, the ones that we see in the movie, like... Easter Island and Mount Rushmore and the such like. So unless um, anyone else, Chris, do you want to inhale sharply and let me know you've got (laughs) something else to say or shall we crack on to going through? I'm barely drawing breath. (laughs) Let's go through the movie. I almost feel like, now let's just go through it. I'm in two minds. Part of me wants to go, this is why this doesn't work, and then go through it. But I think we'll let that just happen organically. Because I, you know, I really wanted this to work. Because on paper, it sort of feels like it could be amazing. It Mm. really does. Like the Martian design, and there are glimpses as you watch it of a tone that works, of something funny. But I just don't think it knows what it is. Like, it should be a parody. Like, and if it's going to be a parody, it should play to that. It should be like, it should be parodying disaster movies and alien movies. But it, it's not. Like, by all accounts, what Tim Burton wanted to do, he just finished Ed Wood. And he was like, this is a great opportunity to pay homage to Ed Wood as a director and Plan 9 from Outer Space. So he kind of intentionally sets out to make a bad movie mm. just with $80 million at mm. his disposal. Which, no, Ed Wood, when he was making Plan 9 from Outer Space, wasn't trying to make a bad movie. He was <laughs> like, and so it's sort of already, you've scuppered it from the start. And uh, let's go through it. So we open uh, as we mean to go on with a fucking disturbing image that makes no sense. <laughs> uh, a lot of cows on fire stampeding mm. through shot. 
Which I liked, actually. I thought that was yeah. good because it's really uh, jarring, odd, weird, mm. upsetting. And having not seen this film before, that put my expectations too high because it doesn't, that doesn't pay off. Well, at the very basic script level, that doesn't pay off. So that's annoying. But it, nothing reaches that high point again for me. So that's massive downer. You've hit the nail on the head. I went back to that scene because I was like, fucking hell. What yeah. the hell's this? Like, I don't remember that scene from a kid. And it was only then watching the rest of the film and then going back and rewatching that scene and going, but that, this has problems because I don't really know. Like, when you've watched the rest of the movie, that scene fails. Yeah. It's despite being arresting, because what is it trying to say? If it's a joke, it's not played right for mm. laughs. And if it's just a horrible image, then what what are you what are you saying for the rest of the movie and it turns out what you're saying for the rest of the movie is this film is just nihilism this film is just a really nihilistic piece of work and it's cynical and it just doesn't really care um about you the audience uh, unfortunately because it doesn't give you anything i mean we're, we're getting off the off off going through the movie but very quickly the real problem with this is that there isn't a character that on screen that represents Tim Burton's aim for the movie. Like he's aimed to make a quite a cynical nihilistic piece of work. Fine. But because no one in the movie really represents that, there's no character that you get involved with that says, I am the filmmaker's nihilism embodied in this character. You're constantly looking past the film at the filmmakers for your understanding of it, which gives you this completely detached way of viewing a movie because you're looking to Tim Burton and Jonathan Gems constantly behind, like you're looking off camera, like these characters, like you don't care about because none of them represent the tone of the film. Let's go through the movie um, before I blow a fucking gasket. Right. So we got the cows uh, done that. Then we start to meet the characters. Um, Jack Nicholson uh, is the president of the USA. Uh, Utterly and completely wasted. I'm not sure he understood what the film was. I'm like so many of the cast here. Thankfully, we are introduced to one of two people shortly after Jack Nicholson who does get kind of how to make this work. And that person is Pierce Brosnan, who <laughs> like is the best thing in it because he delivers it with that kind of like wink of an eye, like he he's sending up like that character that we're familiar with, the scientist who wants to believe good. What are your thoughts on Pierce Brosnan? I give Pierce Brosnan a lot more credit for his performance than possibly he's due because of that YouTube video that Chris found where he does the narration about um, Robin Hood. And, <laughs> <laughs> and it's the funniest fucking thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And because of that, he to me is a comedic genius. But... Yeah, he is good. In he's good. He's good. He knows what he's in, and also Michael J. Fox, who's such a star, and we lose him really quickly, and that is a huge error. Um, if maybe if he'd been in it for longer, it wouldn't be so disastrous. Um, one hundred percent agree, uh, Victoria. They lose Pier like Pierce Brosnan um, is one of the names who I think gets it, and you're absolutely right in my opinion, Michael J. Fox. Utterly brilliant. Gets it. Again, you get that character, the vain TV show host who wants the best for him. And again, his relationship with Sarah Jessica Parker is a relationship that I would be interested in exploring. But he turns into a green skeleton at the 20 minute mark. And you're like, why? He's good. That, that competitive edge between, you know, the airhead fashion show 
and like his serious news and why he's not getting like the big interviews is fun. Yeah. It's a fun thing. Uh, then we meet some more people. Um, uh, we meet Danny DeVito in one of two scenes that he's in, uh, in uh, playing uh, craps in Vegas. Can I talk about Danny DeVito for a second? So a bit like, I feel like Randy Quaid was playing his um, vacation character in Independence Day. And I felt like Danny DeVito was playing his Romancing the Stone character here. Uh, but um, his name is above the title on this film. <laughs> and yet in the film, his character does not even have a name. He's simply called Rude Gambler. And if you watch him being interviewed behind the scenes, he, he refers to the character as Rude Gambler. They didn't even make up a name for him off camera. So, you know, one of the reasons I was excited for this film was the cast. And Danny DeVito was one of those people. He was, you know, this was when he was at the height of his powers, Danny DeVito, in, in, in cinema. And it's very disappointing that he gets four lines, two scenes, you're gone. Yep. Yeah, yeah, he gets he, he plays craps, then declares he's a lawyer and then dies. Uh, it's a three three point arc. Um uh, we meet Annette Benning um, as well, who um, uh, is a former alcoholic who, when the Martians invade, uh, goes back to booze. Uh, that's that. Um, <laughs> Martin Short, uh, again, gifted comic actor, brilliant comic actor, has literally nothing to do apart from sleaze and deliver unfunny lines. <laughs> um and uh, bewilderingly, Jack Nicholson uh, didn't want just uh, one role that he wasn't very good in. He wanted two. <laughs> so uh, there's, there's an interesting quote when he read the script. Apparently, he said he wanted to play all the characters to Tim Burton, uh, but he settled on two, uh, the president and Art Land. Well, like, why can't you just say no to him? Or can I play two? No. <laughs> That's the end of that. When I saw that it was Jack Nicholson in two roles... Was it just me that was like, oh, there's a storyline here where you will stand in for the president because you're his doppelganger? So why has that not happened? Like, it, that, I know, oh, it just made me so furious. When he died, I was like, are you shitting me? He's just died. He hasn't fulfilled his storyline in my mind of standing in for the president. Why else? Is Jack Nicholson playing two roles? It's well, I, ima I also imagine what was happening is that Tim Burton and Jack Nicholson were when they were discussing this film, we're talking about the fact that this was going to be their Dr. Strange love. There's the visuals are very um, derivative of strange love when in with the president and the tone of it is trying, is trying for that. And so I'm sure that's where it came from for him to play multiple characters. This would be his big Peter Sellers moment, uh, but the material just isn't as good. Well, it's also, I mean, Dr. Strangelove is a brilliant satire on the, the Cold War. I, I, and you, 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 what, you, what is Tim Burton satirising here? Like, I don't really, I don't I mean, there's I a vague attempt to sort of, there's a vague attempt to set science against the military and have that debate, which, which comes up in, in Independence Day as well. But as, as I say, it's just not, it's not written well enough. The material isn't good enough to, to pull that off. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why it should, it should be, as I said earlier, I, it would work so much better. And I'll get onto a couple of jokes that really do work if it was a parody of, like, if it, I mean, a, if the script had jokes and those jokes were like a, a parody of 
disaster movies or alien invasion movies or 1950s movies, but it was sending them up in a much more obvious way as opposed to whatever it's trying to do with like this half-baked satire. Anyway, uh, let's crack on. Um, then we meet uh, Jack Black um, as a military guy who can uh, assemble a gun blindfolded in like two minutes or something. So uh, that's that. Uh, his bro- brother, uh, played by Lucas Haas, um, who's uh, nice. Oh, I guess, God. Is his I like him. Traits. I really like him as an actor. And he is so bad in this. All he does is go, oh, grandma. It, it, and he's a good actor. So there's something going on. I just couldn't believe how poorly drawn his character was and how bad he is. The um, the interesting thing is, and I, we you weren't here for the episode that we talked about Lucas Haas quite a lot, Chris, because you were um, away working at <clears> a <throat> film festival in Austin. But Vicky and I were talking about him playing the pin in mm. Brick. Which is uh, and I, the only way I kind of liked his character in this was to think about how different he is as the pin and what a good <laughs> yeah. actor he is. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm literally going, wow, that's a transformation from that role. So he's good, but does it work in this? I mean, he is, for all intents and purposes, the kind of hero of the piece. And once again... <laughs> You don't spend any time with him, and like he's so passive. It's yeah. like he doesn't do anything, and yet at the end, he's the one who gets the medal. Well, I, I um, think isn't that, isn't that isn't that supposed to be the joke though? The fact that everyone in this movie who thinks they're the hero of the film and the story ends up dying, but the one bloke who doesn't think he's the hero, who's completely unassuming, who's just trying to look out for his nan, ends up being the hero, and he and he doesn't know what to say when he gets in that situation. I'm not saying it it, sure. it doesn't work. But I, I feel like that it, it, that in itself he's trying to go for a joke with. But even even I, I I can see that. But even in that, I mean, how does that work in terms of the structure of a film? Like if you if we compare this as we are doing to Independence Day, and you go right, well, Independence Day is an ensemble cast, each with their different storylines. Like those storylines eventually come together, and Will Smith slash Jeff Goldblum do emerge as, as the heroes, which you need. Like, the audience needs to know who they're rooting for in some level, and this film doesn't offer you anyone. Like, they're just sketches thrown together that have no no through line and no, there's no one to root for. So yeah. how is it's, that there's a, no, a there's cinema no experience? Pro- there's no protect. No, I'm, say, I'm saying it's bad, but I feel like that is what he's going for. Um, he's, mm. he's trying to sort of um, parody these... Uh, disaster movies but all of those disaster movies ultimately did have a protagonist and did have a hero by the end of the movie and and it, it, here it's the hero is a punchline mm. yep um uh, interesting uh, side note uh, jack black's girlfriend in it sharona um didn't realize doesn't have any lines i don't think uh, is christina applegate uh yeah uh, she plays his girlfriend in it so uh, an all-star cast with nothing to do. I'm a big fan of the grandma, though. Can I just say that I, I was watching, I was watching a Hitchcock film called Sabotage the other day from 1936, and I was I, the 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 lead woman was was a bit of a hottie. Wanted to look her up. It's bloody this woman, Sylvia Sidney, who's who's not only is she the grandma in Mars Attacks, but she's Juno in Beetlejuice as well. Oh, okay. So an incredible, yeah, you know, uh, you know, decade-spanning career. But I, I find her funny in this film as well. Yeah, um, not really. Um, no. I tell you what. I I I tell you what is kind of funny um, is the joke at the press conference um, where. Jack Nicholson takes the stage and goes, are there any questions? And a reporter stands up. And as far as I can tell, it's intentionally made out that you can't really tell 
if the reporter is a man or a woman and the um the 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 question is uh do the martians have two sexes like we do and uh, jack nicholson looks confused because he's not sure about the question and i thought that was quite good am i right or wrong ah <clears throat> uh, i mean that had me no. scratching my head alex that bit i didn't no, know i, I didn't understand really understand the, the joke yeah, the joke is she's asking if they've got two sexes. Oh, they are asking if the aliens have two sexes like we do. But the person asking that question throws Jack Nicholson off because he finds it hard to gender that person. Because that yeah. person, they've altered the voice to put it between the register of a typically male, typically female voice and altered their, done something to their appearance to sort of put them in the middle of what we have as accepted codes of signaling your gender. So right. fine, whatever. But. I can't. I don't think that person buttons the scene. I think the president's reaction buttons the scene, which puts it back onto him, and that ruins the joke a bit for me. Mm. If it ended on that person, they get the laugh effectively, and whatever. But it's slim pickings overall. Yeah, that, that's, that's. I wrote down straws and clutching are two words that spring <laughs> to mind at this point. Um, then um, uh, we've got Byron the boxer. I, I failed to mention him. He's. Oh. Uh, He's um, dressed as a pharaoh. Uh, there you go. Um, uh, but what so, about Pam uh, Greer? Like Pam Greer as mm. his ex or something. Mm. She gets zero to do. She's really she drives a bus and she's mean and she get, you know kicks her kids back into touch and that's all really good. And then she's just the rest of the film. She's on the phone going, "Where are you?" <laughs> that's kind of it. Uh, and all, uh, also, what, what movie is she in? Because she's really great in this. She's really great, but she's acting in a drama. She's acting in something closer to Independence Day. Yeah. It's like these, she's doing well, but how is this sitting alongside everything else that's going the fuck on in this film? Because it just it doesn't fit. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. 
For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Join me, Pete Donaldson, and Japan-based YouTuber Chris Broad every Wednesday as we offer the lowdown on what's happening in one of the most unique and exciting countries in the world. The Abroad in Japan podcast is home to all things Japan, from things to do... So today we've come to you guys with 12 places in Japan that nobody knows about. To the bizarre... When I moved into my new apartment last year, the police guy came to my door, mm. knocked on my door, I opened it, it was a policeman, and he said to me, in English, I am Japanese policeman. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best introduction you could possibly do as a Japanese policeman. <laughs> to the downright filthy. And for those of you who don't know what a Tenga is, Pete and I did discuss how to describe it best before doing the podcast and I'll let Pete describe what a Tenga is. What is it, Pete? It's a solo male silicon-based ordinanist's aid, so to speak. Brilliant. New episodes every single Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Abroad in Japan is a Stakhanov production. Let's talk about something good that is done well um, because we, we're hitting the 20-minute mark and it's the landing scene where the Martians turn up and thank God they do because we have been treading water uh, <laughs> like crazy until now. Um, what are your thoughts on the landing scene? I, I think the way it's staged, it looks great and the Martians are beautiful. I mean, I think it's closer to 40 minutes that we actually, um, the action starts up with them killing stuff. But I think, oh, which, is a, which oh. is a long wait, you know, Independence Day gets to it at the beginning. But I think they look amazing with their, their big brains and their sharp teeth and their and their wobbly eyes. Um, Burton obviously asked the animators to make it look like stop motion. If he couldn't afford stop motion, <laughs> he, he asked them to, to design it that way. And I think because of that, it hasn't really dated too badly. The, the, the footage of their flying saucers in space has dated horribly. But I think this mm. stuff, because it's so, um, it, it looks so unreal and cartoon-like, I think, it, I think it still looks great. And then I think, it, I, I think it's really good fun when they actually start uh, killing things and people. Yeah, I mean, it helps that they're meant to look so cartoon-like anyway. So they haven't aged because they weren't ever meant to look particularly realistic. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with that point. I think the fact that the skeletons that they create with their various weaponry are either red or green, um, I believe because Tim Burton knew the film was coming out at Christmas, he wanted red and green skeletons because it was all festive. Now, oh, that's yeah. funny. That's funny. I love that's, that. That's really cynical. That's I don't like that one bit. Really? I was yeah. like, now, uh, you see, I quite like that. I thought, I mean, unfortunately, it doesn't work in the movie's favour because I only found out reading around the movie. So at no <laughs> point did I watch this movie and go, clever gag, because Christmas, I didn't see that <laughs> at all. So it doesn't work in that respect. But reading about it afterwards, again, straws clutching. So that's yeah. where I'm coming from. Okay. 
Um, sadly, we lose Michael J. Fox, uh, one of the best things in the movie at this point, and uh, one of numerous horrid deaths, uh, Jack Black. I remember as a kid actually watching the Jack Black death and really not understanding what was going on because Jack Black's funny and he hasn't really done anything wrong at this point apart mm. from, I guess, wanting to kill Martians who were killing everyone. Uh, that's nasty. Uh, then he gets fried in front of his family yeah. on TV and his <laughs> doting dad. And you're like, that's so dark. And I'm saying this, loving the darkness in Batman Returns, but here it's sort of done in a way that is like just cruel. And its only intention is to make you go, well, you don't see that very often. There's a reason. Yeah, it feels a bit like a punishment because they're the, you know, the uh, working class or blue collar, like sort of all shucks, gun in, live in a trailer, Americans. And it's like they're being punished for that because they watch their son die in front of them, which is bananas. And I'm sure it wasn't intended. I'm sure it wasn't intended like that because that's so mean. But yeah, that's I just think how it being, came across. Like uh, now, I think they're being punished for their love of guns and thinking that guns are the solution because the grandma oh, and the, okay. the other son come out of it quite positively. But yeah. um, you know, because I imagine Tim Burton is 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 not is anti-violence in real life. I I just feel like part of me thinks though almost the reverse of what you say, Alex. That that I want more of that cynical death and destruction and, and have it be sort of an eighteen-rated horror film. It sits in this strange place where it's a family film, but with, you know, when they try and reenact some of these um, these shocking images on the cards, it's quite shocking in what was, you know, a, a film released at Christmas and and marketed towards families. It just, I, I don't know where it sits, that, that, that imagery. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I agree. If you were more prepped for it, um, and this was like an 18-rated gore fest, I'd argue that even then, like, you would set the, the the tone would be different and you'd set up, like, those moments completely differently and you'd have the characters, like, more abhorrent. So you were kind of on the Martian side because these people were so awful um, as opposed to just a bit stupid, yep. uh, which they are here. So... Um, yeah, pressing, pressing on. Um, there are there's, there are some good moments to come, so don't worry. It's not all going to be awful. Um, <laughs> um, uh, there's a good line uh, from uh, Natalie Portman, who plays the uh, president's daughter. Um, because <laughs> Tim Burton, for me, does surrealism and silliness really well, and that's why I think some of the awfulness is like in this movie just feels odd from him. Um, but, you know, that's not my place to say. Uh, I do like Natalie Portman's line when <laughs> they're sort of trying to work out what happened after the Martians kill the dove. And she, like, in complete sincerity goes, maybe to them, doves mean war. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was just, like, writing that and then going, yep, yeah, we'll have that. It's just such a stupid, stupid thing to say. But great. Um <laughs> Then we've got another bit, which I think I alluded to at the start, where the cards had a little bit of sexual content. Uh, again, like Chris said, family movie. You've got a Martian uh, on the ship reading Playboy, uh, leering over the centrefold, who then turns his leer onto Sarah Jessica Parker, who's now wearing a sci-fi uh, bikini in a tube of some kind. Um <laughs> 
and he looks at her with was a it, kind oh, of like... Oh, Alex, whip. Alex, was it a rude tube? <laughs> oh, oh, very good, Chris. Very good. I mean, actually better than anything else in Mars Attack, so, you know, very, very good. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so he licks his lips and looks at her, and the next time we see her, he's put a dog's head on her body. So I just, again, a bit perplexed. I'm like, so he really liked the body, but he thought it would be more attractive with a dog's head? Uh, like, it's like, perfect, but needs dog's head. Well, I feel know. like at this point, it becomes clear that the aliens aren't sort of this advanced society. They're just naughty boys, basically. And I think Tim Burton's trying to channel his sort of the naughty boy in him, um, as it were, with some of the humour. But again, not it doesn't it doesn't work. It isn't funny. But um, I I think that's what's happening here. And I do think some of the humour works when they are just seem like petulant, angry little kids running mm. around causing chaos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I can see that. Again, like I said, uh, the Martian's uh, best thing in this. Uh, um, uh, also, uh, another good thing. I've got a good moment just to balance, balance this out. A good moment is um, uh, something you can always rely on, uh, which is where the Martians wipe out Congress and Glenn Close is watching it on TV and she spits out her tea. It's a spit take. <laughs> it's funny. I guess, yeah. <laughs> um, we're sort of at the, about the midway point, if a little further on actually now, Victoria. What were you thinking at this point in the movie? I was... I thought I'd felt like I'd been watching it for my whole life, even though it had been on for about an hour. Um, I wondered... I so many of these images are are actually quite iconic. I recognise the aliens. Lisa Marie, she's the best thing in it when she's the lady alien and she goes to the White House and the way that she moves and the swishing of the arms and when she kills Martin Short, that scene, that scene says to me this film could have been something other than what it is. Like it could have been funny and it could have been good and still weird and still a bit sexy and all the rest of it. But at this point. I just, I was just so cross with the script and I, I'm just going to get this off my chest and it's super boring and it's technical, but lines like after the Martians have blown everyone up and then Martin Short says to Jack Nicholson, I think we can do like a meet and greet with the Martians. And Jack Nicholson says, oh, that would be a great victory for our administration. What? What? They've just killed like 30 of your citizens. The line makes no sense. So if it makes no sense, just come up with something else you are a screenwriter it is your job to make a script make sense anyway yeah well no i mean not anyway but i mean here's the thing i think they'd argue that well but that's the thing he's so delusional as a president that he thinks there's still something to be won in in this situation like he's oblivious to the massacre and he's like yeah. actually that'll that would that said it's like but but yeah, you're so stupid now. Like you've made a character that is that you're, you've cast a character as the president of the United States who is so stupid yeah. that it's just I'm so outside believability. There's no, there's nothing for me to sort of go. Oh, to okay. Latch onto, yeah, and I suppose yeah. unfairly, I just watched Independence Day where Bill Pullman just smoulders his way through being the president of the United <laughs> States, and I was like, I would follow you into the mouth of a fucking volcano. That's a different film, but you see what I'm saying. Um, but Jack Nicholson, 
if he's meant to be bumbling and stupid, I didn't get that until it was too late, and then it just annoyed me. And the, the other the other thing I thought, which is obviously not the fault of the film, but if I'd seen it in 1996, I would have been so blown away by the effects that I wouldn't have cared about the story. But because I'm watching it now, I'm not that bothered by the effects because it's more commonplace to see stuff like that. So the story sticks out as being problematic. But I, I think I don't think you would have enjoyed it. I don't. I didn't enjoy it when I saw it as a kid, and I don't yeah. think you would have done either. And I think it's the basic thing of like, like you have an understanding of the language of film. You understand, like you understand the beats. You understand like the moments. Like you, you, you get it. It's ingrained in you from a lifetime of cinema, and this doesn't follow any of those. So mm. you don't. There's nothing. You can't sort of go. Oh, it's that bit. There's no familiarity. It's just. It, it, it's so it's so opposed to following any structure intentionally that like, it just leaves you bewildered at what you're supposed to be thinking at any point. It's bad. It's a bad thing. It is a bad thing. But you're right. Um, the Lisa Marie bit, um, Burton's then girlfriend, uh, is absolutely fantastic, although she has a scar on her head from that uh, wig she wore because no. it cut a hole in her head. Yeah, it's it really didn't. heavy, apparently. <laughs> yeah, ah, yeah. Oh, that's awful. <laughs> Yeah, I, don't I watched know what a really this says awkward about... interview with her. Go, go on. I don't know what this says about their relationship, but he rarely let her speak in films. She would <laughs> often play roles where she she didn't... I, I think Edward's the only one where she had some dialogue, so... Yeah. Has she got a bit, horrible voice, is that bit, what it is? Odd. No, no. <laughs> just making a very strange point. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't think it ended well uh, for them because in 2005 she um, uh, auctioned off a lot of uh, stuff that he'd left uh, when they broke up uh, to the public uh, for for money, uh, like his pants um, and like <laughs> crap shit CDs. <laughs> I can imagine. I, I imagine it was probably quite uh, rare and expensive Tim Burton authentic <laughs> merchandise that he wanted to keep. But uh, yeah, when I spoke to yeah, I the, spoke to um, years ago, I spoke to Helena Bonham Carter about what it was like um sort of being with tim burton and she's she was saying i think this is common knowledge now their houses were next door to each other and that his yeah, house so was just like that. it was like a shrine a museum to all the geeky stuff that he loves and that he she said that the kids weren't allowed to touch any of the toys in there which i just thought was <laughs> cruel that would just i don't know drive you mad as a kid if there's millions of toys all around you and you can't touch them um mm. the other thing the weird thing she told me and this was this is at least 10 years ago now. She told me that he was a big fan of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. And, <laughs> and, and the season that was on at the time, he was really rooting for Carol Thatcher. <laughs> well, yeah. And I said to her, please don't tell anyone else this because Tim Burton fans, I think that would just completely destroy their image of, you know, imagining this, you know, their gothic hero sitting at home cheering on Carol Thatcher. <laughs> uh, well, uh, you'll love this. Uh, it relates to something you said earlier in the show. When I uh, interviewed Tim Burton uh, for Alice in Wonderland in Leicester Square, he went, I uh, love Rude Tube. And I was like, oh, what? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know whether you should say that, even though it's me and I make that <laughs> show. I don't know. Uh, but it, it was so cool. It was so cool. Like the guy who cool. made. Batman Returns, like my favourite fucking Batman movie. He's going, I like Rootube. I'm like, ah, what? <laughs> so, um, so yeah. And, and on that note, I, as I did say at the start, though this has been something of a massacre of Mars Attacks, Tim Burton is a fucking genius. This movie just is not good. Good. Uh, right. Um, so, uh, yes. Um, another bit, uh, related to the Lisa Marie bit, that again is great, but it's just sort of like, 
why is it here when she's chewing gum and Martin Shaw gets his finger bitten off? Mm. We then get a scene where they are doing an autopsy and they uh, pull out the gum and they go, that's how she could breathe in this atmosphere because <laughs> the gum was nitrogen gum. You're like, who cares? <laughs> what, what, well, what point is that scene important? Like, what, what? I mean, it's such a nice little addition. Like, I'm like, okay, why? <laughs> Oh, anyway, we're in the on the final stretch now. I do chip in if you've got anything nice to say at any point, just to add a bit of balance to this. Oh, um, I liked the I liked the Mount Rushmore joke. There you go. That yeah, made yeah. me laugh. I laughed once and out of desperation, and I I quite liked the aliens <laughs> being tourists at the Taj Mahal. I quite liked that. The Easter Island bowling scene is very good too. I didn't. I thought that was disrespectful. Oh, it's a difficult uh, but balance, the isn't it? The Martians are disrespectful. It's only as disrespectful as doing Mount Rushmore, isn't it? Yeah, it is, actually. That's called me out. Yeah, you're right. It is. <laughs> well, we're in the business of calling things out on this episode. So I can't everyone's... It, yeah. <laughs> We've resorted to infighting because <laughs> I was so angry about this. We've got nothing else to say, so we're just going to pick on each other. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, it's true. This is awful. Right. Um, uh, here we go, then. Let's just get, get to the climax. Um, Tom Jones turns up. Oh, no. <laughs> and what... Like, like they've, they, it's not an expensive scene they've really shot with him. Why do they not just show him performing once earlier in Vegas? And indeed, why don't they have him and um, Jim Brown's character, the boxer, have the exchange about um, Tom Jones saying, I once saw you fight in Cardiff, Wales, once. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder why he had to qualify it with Wales. He could have just said Cardiff. No. Coming out of well, that man's Americans don't know where it. They don't know where it is. So it's for the Americans. You mean, you mean Cardiff, Arkansas? There's a Cardiff in Arkansas. And like, yeah, he goes. I want so you fight in Cardiff, Wales. Like, just doesn't work as I like. Anyway, he needs to have come in earlier, so you've got at least some understanding there. It doesn't bother. Although, that said, the Martians, as his backing singers, is funny. Yeah. Like, like little, that little moment. And again, you sort of see moments like that and go, that would have been great. Bit more of that. But then making the Martians less violent, I think. I know Chris, you were saying that it could have been far more violent. But I think take out some of the hideousness and put in more ridiculousness and you've got a family-friendly version of this movie that's actually got some fun but in it. But don't you like them running around zapping people while, say, while saying, don't run, we are your friends? <laughs> yeah to be fair yeah. if only because it goes through a translator so he goes ack, 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 and the voice from the translator goes don't run we are your friends good. <laughs> it's strong um the nuclear bomb getting sucked into that device great just create a brand new gadget to deal with nuclear weapons kick ass uh like that that was uh fun um uh, then we've got the Neon Boneyard, which is a real place in Las Vegas, which is well worth visiting, where they put all the old neon that isn't being used anymore. Uh, and you can just go and walk around all these old neon signs. Uh, Danny DeVito gets his second scene here, um, which is uh, where an alien corners him after he goes, I'm running away. And he offers it his watch and declares himself a lawyer. And the alien kills him anyway, and then does a cowboy style swivel of its pistol and then Annette Benning turns up and kills the alien 
And then the boxer, Jim Brown, turns up and goes, what happened? And she goes, I managed to kill it, but I was too late. And then he goes, give me the gun. And the scene ends. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. Mm. I just, uh, I don't know. Well, I don't know. But just what? What? I mean, like, you've just set Danny DeVito up as, like, not a nice guy. It's kind of like he's a lawyer. So he's like, and it's like, all right, we're doing a lawyer joke. Mm-hmm. So you kill him because he's a lawyer and we don't need any lawyers. Um and then she sees this and goes, I was too late. So we're going, oh, actually, it's bad that he's dead, even though you just set up his death as a joke. Shut up, movie! Just <laughs> shut up! Uh, um, yeah, Jack Nicholson dies in another grotesque way, pierced by an arm with a flag on it. Um, <laughs> a brand new character who we've not seen called Cindy, who is also dressed in Egyptian attire, turns up. Uh, she sort of... Uh, Wanders round with Tom Jones and Annette Benning and Jim Brown for a bit. Uh, Lucas House and his grandma, who Chris likes, they um, <laughs> work out the music. Oh, kills. the music, the music thing. So, what isn't that? That comes up quite a lot in films where it's a piece of music that is like the Achilles heel. Um, and that's all I could think about watching this thing. So I was like, shut up, I'm not watching this. Um, other films where they do that. So do you think we can name some? I could, yeah. But then, having said all that, I could only remember, what's the Star Trek where they use the Beastie Boys? And it like... It's, it's oh, gone. yeah. Oh, Star no, wait, Trek Beyond. One. Yeah, and yeah. Ghostbusters 2, the resonant frequency disrupts the slime in Ghostbusters 2. Yeah. Yeah, okay, good. Those are two better films. Well, I did <laughs> Howard to- Stern... Yeah, I listened to that, Alex. Have you listened to it? Uh, no, I, I I read about it, but uh, you so, know, so his time is money. Week, his first week working at um, NBC, uh, shock jock Howard Stern in 1982, did this um, radio play. I don't know if it's like the radio movie that you talked about on the Independence Day episode, Al, but um, <laughs> but it was literally called Slim Whitman versus the Midget Aliens from Mars. And they say in the in the radio play, the only thing that could save Earth from the midget aliens from Mars is a loud, piercing, obnoxious yodel sung by a cheap Don Amici lookalike called Slim Whitman. Uh, the Martians speak get gibberish in that film as well. Um, the yodel kills <laughs> the Martians and uh, Earthlings. Um, Howard Stern said it was it was a really bad play, but no worse than the movie. And <laughs> uh, when he had Tim Burton on his show a few years later, he said to him. Um, he played it to him and said, what do you think? And, and Burton said, you should have sued me. So there you mm. go. <laughs> mm. It's nice to see um, Martian heads explode. Uh, don't mind that. Uh, that was quite good. Um, and then um, we get a couple of uh, sort of climactic moments. Uh, well, not climactic moments. We get the payoff, um, the sort of the, the awards ceremony on the steps of uh, some uh, government building in Washington, D.C., where... Natalie Portman gives Lucas Hasser a medal and he says to her, you don't have to kiss me if you don't want to, um, despite this being their very first meeting. (laughs) Although let's presume it's like a sort of professional medal-giving thing that you then kiss the person you're giving the medal to. But uh, she then says, do you have a girlfriend? Uh, Because she's so enamored with him based on that conversation uh, and some speech that I can't even remember that he gives. And then, as if the movie hasn't laughed at you, the audience, enough, 
the one through line with a reasonably likable character who turns down like Jack Nicholson in his thankless role number two as Art Land when he goes, I want you to beat this guy up in the back of a limo, another unnecessary scene with no jokes in it. And he says, no, I don't do that anymore. And so you're like, so I get it. He's a good guy. And you're like, he's going to return home to Pam Greer, his wife, and you want to see him get home. You thought he was dead when you looked at him on the airfield with Martians around, but he's not dead. Here he is. He's walking towards the building, and it's the end. It's the end of the fucking movie. You don't actually see him embrace <laughs> Pam Greer. <laughs> you, do, you, don't, you don't get to see them reunited. She still <laughs> thinks he's dead. And like you don't, as the audience, you don't get that moment. It's like, why robbers of that moment? It's why would you do madness. that? It's madness. Um, uh, thankfully, here to save the day is Tom Jones with a bird of prey in his arm singing, It's Not Unusual. Thank God. Thank God for that moment. So you leave the cinema going, oh, maybe that was all right. It wasn't. Uh, spoiler. Uh, there you go. Um, that's, you know what? That's I, do have, I, I do have a vague memory of having that feeling. I always used to say this about the TV series 24, that the first five minutes of the last five minutes were always really good. The stuff in between was pretty terrible. But you'd, you'd walk away from it thinking you'd seen something really good because that last five minutes was so tense. And yeah. Mars Attacks, I do remember walking out of the cinema laughing uh, because of that Tom Jones scene. Um, yeah. Because it's so weird and out of place and f- odd and funny. Uh, and I think it made me think I liked the film more than I did. Yes. Yeah. I, the same thing happened to me, like um, having watched it this time. And if I didn't have 20 pages of notes and scrawl <laughs> just going hate, 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 <laughs> then I might have done that and gone, oh, <laughs> it's amazing what that song, Tom Jones and a Bird of Prey, can do for a movie. Shall we do the bits? Do it. Yeah, I think so. Right then. Uh, best scene. <laughs> um, who would like to go first? Uh, uh, let's start with you, Victoria. Uh, Lisa Marie as the scary, tall, giant haired lady alien. Um, just any scene with her in, actually, which isn't much, ridiculously, <laughs> but fine. So, yeah, that bit. Great. Christopher, what's your best scene? Uh, what I just said, the animals flocking to Tom Jones at the end of the movie. Uh, I think that's an, a, a memorable image that's sort of burnt into my brain. So my best scene, I, I, let's have no complaints because once again, straws and clutching is actually two scenes stitched together. Um, and it goes back to what I was saying about how this should be a parody of disaster movies and the strongest joke in here is genuinely hilarious and almost makes you wish this was either a Mel Brooks or a Zucker Brothers movie because it's funny and it's set up very early on. It's one of the few moments that the film takes to set up a joke early and then pay it off later on. You know that thing that films do? (laughs) It does it. And it's where Natalie Portman is trying to go somewhere in the White House and she tries to turn down a corridor and the security goes, um, the security says to her, she's like, uh, she says to him, uh, can I go through here? And the security says, uh, you can't right now. There's a tour going on. And she's like, okay, fine. And walks on her way. And then later in the movie, when the shits hit the fan and Martians are everywhere in the White House, laser blasts, people dying, Glenn Close has been crushed by a chandelier, the president and his secret service run up to the same security guy and go, 
let's go this way. And the security guy goes, we can't right now. There's a tour going on. And it's fucking hilarious. It is. You're right. It's funny. It's just a shame that when it happens to Natalie Portman, it's the button of the scene. They just go, oh, you can't. And she goes, oh, but there's nothing else to for you to latch onto. So I watch that scene. It's like, oh, well, I, I don't get it. I don't care. And it takes ages to pay off. When it pays off, it is almost worth it. But there needs to be another line, a joke, a joke from Natalie Portman to take you out of that scene. And then you put in the back of your mind the tour thing and then it pays off. No problem. Mm-hmm. And there isn't. Straws. And no, no, clutching. I'm sorry. Yeah, so that was no. out of order. It's it is oh. a funny joke. You're right. MVW guys, uh, Chris, most valuable whatever. Um, I'm going for Matthew Barry, Jean McCarthy, and Victoria Thomas. Please explain. They were the casting directors on this film, and I think they did a bang up job assembling a fantastic ensemble cast and it's not their fault Danny DeVito as one bloody line and so many uh, brilliant <laughs> comedy actors are wasted yeah fair point fair point uh Victoria um Natalie Portman actually as the sulky teenager because she's very good and she's always very good but you watching this film you are looking for a character to identify with or latch on to or just someone who seems to have the capacity to take you through the narrative in some way. And she's the only person. Like, Lucas Hath could have been if he had any shred of personality, but he doesn't. So you have to latch on to Natalie Portman. And, you know, being a sulky teenager, I can just about remember, if you can believe that. Um, So, yeah, her. Okay, yeah. Um, I'm picking the Martians uh, because... And I love them. And I think they're the best thing in the film. And it's amazing that you have such a starry cast who are entirely and completely overshadowed by computer <laughs> pixels. So that's an achievement. Well, especially when one of them's Jack Nicholson. That That is an almost <laughs> two of them an impossibility. Are Jack yeah, two of them. <laughs> two of them. I mean, he never gets outsha- overshadowed or outperformed. And yeah, yeah, I can't remember either of his performances in this film, so... No. I mean, we didn't really touch on it, but you mentioned the, the Doctor Strange love homage in the war room. And there is a point where he's arguing with Rod Steiger, uh, playing the general. He's like, kill, kill, annihilate. And he does finally wake up. There's a moment there where he like he brings lots of energy because he's like losing the plot. And you're like, there he is. There's <laughs> so, so, some energy to it. Like he sort of sleepwalks through the rest of the movie. All right, um, let's go uh, with change. Uh, what would anyone change? Uh, Vicky. I would change the, the whole script <laughs> and uh, yeah. just just have another pass at it. Oh, fuck it. M- let Martin Amis have another go or something. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just not... It's it's like you said before, it's just not what you expect when you sit down. It's a Tim Burton film and the cast and it could have been so funny. And I, I think it's, if a joke doesn't land, then that's fine because at least an attempt has been made. But there are holes in this script that I just find unforgivable which is very strong, but that's as, that's as strong as I feel. Christopher? Um, well, it's obvious, and we've said it, reduce the number of characters and focus on the good ones, or the strong ones. Write some good ones, write some strong ones. But I'm, I've actually went through the, um, the original Mars Attacks uh, cards, and um, they, they do recreate a lot of them uh, in the film. So the cattle is, is directly taken from the card. Uh, I think oh, Jack, Jack okay. Black's death, maybe. The, the death of the dog in the White House, which is a bit surprising. That's directly taken from what was one of the most controversial cards at the time. 
um, the stuff in Paris. So um, uh, the ones that they didn't they didn't uh, recreate that I thought they could have had a go at was the army of giant insects that invade. Um, mm. We've got Earth bombing Mars, but also there's panic in Parliament where the uh, the alien the, the Martians get into the House of Commons and and shoot the place up, which I would have very much enjoyed seeing. <laughs> well, you still might. Um, there is talk at the moment of a Mars Attacks remake. Uh, no, with no. Tim Burton directing uh, again, so uh, there may be. Um, it's very, very shaky rumor-style uh, knowledge at the moment, but it is out there. There is talk of Warner Brothers liking the property and wanting to uh, do something else with it, which kind of seems unlikely because I believe it made exactly $1 million <laughs> in profit in total. <laughs> um, after marketing and everything, it cost about 100 million and made 101 million so um it seems unlikely but a lot of fans um want the insects that you mentioned included if they do it again uh, i would change uh, it's kind of related to both of what you've said give me what one give me one likable character yeah. just one that's all i all i ask for someone who can be me it, like i can imprint like on throughout the movie and sort of go great and if you don't want to create a likable character if you go it's not about that this movie we're not having likable characters Uh, you know it's nihilism it's like you know we're cynics put that on screen put your like view of all these other characters into a character please tim burton and jonathan gems like like let's see that on screen so i can get like get what you're saying but within the confines of your movie instead of like having to sort of keep reminding myself that You've decided that all these characters are awful and you're going to make me watch them. Right. Let's do the verdict unless anyone else has anything to add, guys. No. No, all good. It's time for the verdict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers. I want the truth. So, um... Who would like to go first? Uh, Chris, I believe you said there were some rules about this that I totally trampled over last week. So how does it work? Vicky is going first. Great, thanks. I won't waste any more of anyone's time. And I will just say Independence Day. I wish I'd never seen Mars Attacks. (laughs) Alex, would you like to go next? Thanks very much, Chris. Uh, I was waiting. Um, uh, Well, so... Independence Day has Mars. Well, let me start with Mars. It's Independence Day. <laughs> yeah. I was going to give you a bollocking then. Like, come on, <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't build your part. Yeah, <laughs> Independence Day to to no one's surprise is our winner this week. But for completion, Chris, what are you going for? Well, I was excited to revisit and reevaluate Mars Attacks. I thought I might feel different about it now, but I don't. Um, the human stuff really sucks in it, but I I will say I do like the Martian stuff. Um, I like the moments where it feels like gremlins, uh, sort of causing chaos, and um, but like Gremlins too. Some I think if there was more of that stuff, it would feel less like a movie and more like a bunch of sketches strung together. So. Yeah, uh, just Independence Day. It was an event that summer and it lived up to all the expectations I had and it's a real crowd pleaser. So obviously it's Independence Day. It's three for three. Hooray! So Independence Day is the winner this week. That's not what I call a close encounter. Oh, good. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) 
Thanks. Thanks. I uh, I took a 10-minute break after I came up with that. So um, there we go. Uh, that is uh, this week done. Uh, we turn our attention now, dear Clash Potters, uh, to a one Victoria... Um, and she has got a clue for us. Reminders of the clue. This is next week's films we're talking about. Now, next week. The clue is, I'm going to live forever. I'm going to learn how to fly, but it's not fame. <laughs> Chris, do you have a um, a guess? I, I've got a guess, but it's something I want to... I, it's one, one I want to pitch in the future, so I don't want to give it away here. I don't want to spoil it in case okay. it's not. Alex? Okay. Great, well, that was fun. Um... <laughs> <laughs> we are firing on all cylinders. This is this is because of Mars Attacks. It's brought us down. Oh, I swear, I'm I'm, I'm I'm dealing with a lot of stuff right now. I'm dealing with a lot of a lot of anger. Um, uh, okay, no, I I don't I don't have a guess. I think I said Highlander at the end of last episode, but it's not Highlander. Tell us, Victoria, what are Chris and I watching? Um, Alex, you are doing Bram Stoker's Dracula. And Ooh. Chris, you've got interview with the vampire. Oh, sexy! Oh, great stuff. Okay, well, that is next week on Clash Pod. Your homework then is Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula and interview with a vampire looking forward to that uh, join us then next week for the show uh, until then if you do have time please give us a rating wherever you get your podcasts on apple spotify or elsewhere and if you've got a bit more time a review would be great as well until next week then clash potters bye-bye this was a stakhanov production